Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Donia Keating, coming to your live from the Seattle area at about 1 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time on Thursday, October 1st. Listeners, I know you're out there, so dial 646-378-0261 to chime in live. Press 1 on your keypad, and that lets us know you're ready to speak. And uh, if you'd rather not do that or you just want to do something through um, chat and send a comment or question, you can open that up and go. And as we've said many times before, it may be a bit wonky, so unless you have a Blog Talk Radio account, um, but you can give it a shot. Today, this afternoon, Puget Sound Energy, or PSE, has had a somewhat complicated history on Bainbridge Island. We have power outages. Um, there's a need for more infrastructure, but obviously re- regular pushback from a community that talks a lot about uh, reducing its carbon footprint or not wanting too much development or cell towers or whatever um, because of aesthetics or just wanting to preserve their character. So there's also an initiative underway, an initiative with um, Island Power. Um, we talked about that a while ago on our show. We're not going to um, get into that right now. But they want their city and the citizens to own and control its own nonprofit electric utility. And um, today we're going to focus more on speaking with Andy Wappler. He's the vice president of corporate affairs for Puget Sound Energy. And one of the many things his group is charged with is um, coordinating customer and community outreach and enhancing data capability and promoting safety and emergency preparedness within PSE's service territory. So we're going to talk a little bit about plans for the future and whatever comes up. And um, also, I think joining us today is going to be Charles Keating, who's one of my regular sidekicks out there, and he's uh, really adds um, a very unique and different perspective sometimes. So let me check and see if they're out there. Are you out there, Andy? Yes, I am. Thanks for having me. Welcome. And Charles, are you out there? I am. Hello, awesome. everyone. Great. So, Andy, let's start with you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I grew up in this area and have been in uh, Puget Sound Energy since 2008, so almost eight years. And most of my work has been in communications and community work, including actually a pretty fair amount on Bainbridge. Uh, back in 2008, one of the first things I did was to be part of putting the solar on Sakai Intermediate School. And, of course, we had the ribbon cutting for that on a rainy December day, but it was still a lot of fun. And then, of course, also working with the island on a little bit of what you mentioned a moment ago, uh, working on what's the right kind of infrastructure projects on the island, and, of course, also promoting energy efficiency and green power because we know that that's pretty important to people who live on Bainbridge and really across the Northwest, but especially on Bainbridge. And, Charles, what about you? want to give us – most people have heard about you and know your background, but tell us anyway. So uh, the, the, the brief thumbnail sketch is basically I'm a geek that uh, has been in technology since I was uh, hired as a programmer back in high school, and I've been an IT consultant since – 1987 and have been in the business. I've run the Western Technology Association since 2009 and 
as a result, we have exposure to a lot of not just ICE information technology, but lots of different technologies. And of course, have worked with Puget Sound Energy, um, is a sponsor and business member in West Sound Technology Association as well. So, and we've had meetings with West PSC on uh, energy efficiency and smart grids. So, we definitely look at it from the technical side, and uh, we'll look look forward to that. Awesome. So, Andy. You were talking a little bit about some of PSC's history, and I want to go back to that that question and talk a bit more about the history on the island and also what the future looks like. Sure. And, you know, a lot of what the island history has been is working on things like reliability, as you mentioned, uh, always a concern. But Bainbridge is a, t- is a tough place to serve. You get a front row seat to every windstorm on Bainbridge, and everything that makes it beautiful and wonderful, you're an island, you have great views, you're in the sound, you have beautiful trees, all of which means you're front and center every time the weather moves through the area. So it's a challenging place to bring electric power, but we've worked to try and do a lot to improve the power service on the island. It was certainly a tough summer. There's no doubt about that. Kind of oddly enough, maybe counterintuitive, all this very warm, dry weather was very hard on our trees. And as those trees became increasingly stressed, we had some trees come down. So a little bit of a tough summer for outages. But over the last couple of years, we've done work on Agate Pass, Fletcher Bay Road, uh, Eagle Harbor area and Wyatt Way, Foss Corner, Baker Hill Road, a lot of what we call tree wire on the island that can shed branches. So we certainly get it around outages and are trying to improve those. And then on the, the other side, kind of the greener side of the picture, a lot of work the last few years with folks on the island Uh, on how to use less energy and then how to use energy in a more green way when they do use it. And a couple of things there that were exciting, we created back in 2010 this island-wide energy meter that was at some public locations around the island. So people could really see as we worked with uh, Repower and other local groups, how are they doing on energy efficiency? How is the island saving? And then to help individual consumers, some cool work in the community with our green power program where people can choose to become 100% green or or fractionally green, and uh, resulted in Bainbridge now being right at the top group along with Olympia and Bellingham. You're kind of neck and neck in terms of the communities that have the most uh, sign-ups for the Green Power Program. So we know that people have two big concerns. They want the lights to stay on, and they want to get greener when they are on. And it's been cool to work with the community on how we can do both of those things. So you mentioned green power, and if you're listening out there and you don't know what it is, basically you purchase renewable energy generated by wind, landfill, gas, you know, agricultural waste or whatever. And so when a customer makes a contribution, which varies on the average of about 4 to $12 a month, PSE buys clean energy on your behalf from independent producers. And so that's kind of what that is. Um, and you brought up a point about the beauty of Bainbridge Island, which is clearly obvious. And they're also known as a very environmentally conscious community. So naturally, you're going to have these uh, conversations about carbon and energy come up as topics. So let's talk about your power mix. And is that sure. going to be changing at all? It is changing. You know, today, about 20% of our power does come from a power plant that we own in Montana, or we're, we're partial owners of, called Coal Strip. And I think folks have probably heard about that. They've certainly heard from islanders who are concerned about the fact that we have coal in our fuel mix. What I don't know they've heard is we're concerned about that, too. And I think sometimes we get put into a a, a pigeonhole that we're not actually in, which is, gee, if you're a utility and you have coal, you must want to hang on to that with all your might. Well, that's not actually true for us. 
Um, just this last year in the legislature, we worked on uh, getting support for a bill that would give a clear path for how we can transition away from coal power. That bill, unfortunately, didn't make it through. It made it down to about the last couple of days of that, I think, triple overtime legislative session. But now we're working to bring back an improved version of that bill so that we have a legal pathway to take into account all the things around reliability and cost that transitioning away from coal, because it is a factor today, transitioning away from coal smoothly. So one, I think, is just we're really working to change things legally and from a regulatory standpoint so that we can do that and get cleaner while not giving people a huge increase in their rates, because we know that's important as well. But then looking back, we're the second largest utility owner of wind power in the country. We've built three wind farms in Washington State. We continue to be a big operator of hydropower. So that message from the island that people are concerned about our carbon footprint, that's great. We're concerned about it, too. We're just trying to find the path forward in the future to reduce it. Yeah, and you brought up the hydroelectric power. I was talking about that before on a prior show, and it's like nearly half of it was in 2002, nearly half of your power portfolio, even back then. And I think according to American Wind Energy Association, just like you said, you were the second largest utility producer of, of wind in the United States, and your breakdown back then, I don't know what the percentages are now, but it was like 41 hydro, 25 natural gas, um, 24 coal, 7 wind, and then you had nuclear and other at 2 and 1%. And so it goes back to that, that comment, that overarching comment about making sure that um, people conduct their due diligence and they're aware of the facts. I mean, you can make whatever informed decision you, you'd like, but, you know, the key word there is informed and understanding uh, what you're dealing with before you start to say that you want, you know, this gone or this is a bad, you know, thing because you really have to have, you know, your, your knowledge base has to be a little bit more, I think, have more integrity. Um, Charles, did you have some comments you wanted to add to the um, conversation? Well, I think um – what you guys are doing is great in terms of you know, wind power, and of course, hydro has been uh, a backbone for the Northwest that a lot of areas don't have. So I think by default, we're always we're starting in a better position than a lot of areas because of our access to that renewable energy source. But I think another thing that is really important, I think, uh, long term, is going to be solar, and it's it's obviously it's a clean energy. It's not without its own issues. Yes, it, the sun doesn't shine all all the time. That's certainly an issue, and there's got to be other sources of energy in the mix. But And, and there's got to be ways to f- figure out how to store energy. But getting back to uh, Bainbridge Island, I think there's, there's, a real, there's a real interest to say, you know, what can we do that would be innovative and be more ahead of the curve? And I think there's something to be said for trying to be responsive to those things as well, in, in that I think energy is going to change a lot in the next 10 years. I'm sure you guys are keenly aware of this. And we'd be very interested to see how you guys see things evolving and uh, how you guys as corporate parents see that you can bring some of these uh, progressive changes to your customers and uh, give them tools so that we can, we can adopt things like solar energy and smart grid technologies. For sure. Andy? I think that's – yeah, thank you. I, I think that's definitely the way it's going to go, Charles. You know um, – Everything else in our lives has changed tremendously the last 10, 20 years as consumers. You know, so why not energy? And, and clearly it will. Uh, we're seeing that in a couple of ways. You know, look on, the, look on the roads. You know, the number of electric cars we're seeing today that we didn't see before. Uh, solar has certainly grown. 
We had our first grid-connected silver customer about 20 years ago, and it held at literally a handful, a couple of dozen, until maybe 10 years ago. Since then, we've accelerated. I believe we now have 4,000 grid-connected solar customers on our system, including a good number on Bainbridge Island. And that's really just the tip of the iceberg. Over time, energy is likely to become much more distributed. That is, we're making it on rooftops. We're making it in the places where we're using it. And really, I think the role for the utility increasingly is going to be to integrate all those pieces together and then provide the reliability and the stability when it works great to be on your own little mini grid when the sun is out, but what do you do when it's not? And what do you do to have the expertise to make sure you have the right components, say, at your home or your business or your neighborhood park? And that's really where I think the utility of the future is going to be. What do you think about that? If, if you've heard about it, I mean, I'm sure you have. What do you think about what Tesla has just come out with where they're saying, you know, you can put this, there are two different versions of it where you can put it up in your home and it can power your home. Either one of you can respond to that. Well, I'll, I'll take a first shot at it if that's okay. I, I think it's very exciting. You know, I, I think they're doing amazing things, uh, you know, certainly on the road and now with things like the Tesla Powerwall, where I think the challenge for the consumer is going to be is, is that the right thing for me, and and will it really work, and how does it integrate with the rest of the system? And that's where we would like to be, is to help consumers make those good choices, uh, also be a solution provider of our own in the future, um, and really be there then, too, as that backbone. So I think there's a couple of ways as a utility we can stay relevant, but clearly changing and doing things differently is going to be a big part of that, because the landscape is going to continue to change probably even more rapidly. Right, right. Um, you've undoubtedly you've heard about the Island Power Initiative. I know we all have. So tell me some of your thoughts about that. Well, I think the first question I would ask if I were a, a Bainbridge resident is, you know, this is probably if you look at the experience of folks in Jefferson County who did buy our system there and start their own utility uh, five years ago. That was about $120 million, $110 million, I think, for Jefferson County. If you kind of scale that for the size of Bainbridge Island, just simply, you know, population to population, it's someplace $70, $80 million. So I think the first question to ask really is, is that the place where the community needs to invest the most? And what happens if $80 million of the community's money goes to that versus roads, schools, a park, whatever else you might want to do. So to me, that's the first thing. Is this really the priority? Second would be, are there other ways of getting the job done more simply? And I would say yes in terms of should you create your own for that kind of money versus how about working with us to continue to deliver the kinds of things that we're aware people want, reliability, greener, new technologies. That's where I think the conversation would go or should go, that to me makes the most sense, given all the many things that probably people have on their mind as priorities for the island. Charles, what do you think about it? Well, I think one of the things is, are there some key inflection points now? I mean, yes, things have changed a lot in 20 years, and power undoubtedly is changing, but I think the, the rate of change is certainly accelerating. And I think people are saying, what are we what are we going to do here? Like one of the issues that we have on Bainbridge Island, like you say, we were talking about the challenges, you know, windstorms, 
you know, knocking down power lines, doing things to protect those power lines so they don't get to get knocked down. But, you know, looking at a, you know, potentially redundant paths so that, you know, the power can stay up if, in fact, the line gets knocked down. Uh, B, uh, other sources of power such as, such as solar. Um, C, if there's some energy storage, if we were talking about dealing with situations where there's uh, peak demand and, you know, you don't want to be overloading the power lines. I think people are looking for insight into what might some of those changes be that would specifically impact Bainbridge? And are there things that we might be able to do? The concern driving on power all along was, if PSC uh, isn't responsive to our needs, at least we, if we're running our own, then we'll respond to our own needs. But I, I perceive you guys as being responsive, but I think people do want some of those questions answered. I guess that's how I'd put it. Sure, and I think I think that's a, a very fair way for people to look at it. I would say that, you know, that the number one concern, at least as I have seen materials and things from Island Power, is concern about carbon. And again, for us, that's our top concern as well. So I think if if you're on the island and you're thinking, I'm concerned about carbon, yes, you could start your own utility, but I think also really helping to push our legislature and our regulators to have that path so that carbon becomes something in our past may be an, an easier way to move forward. It's certainly the direction that we would like to go in. The other, I guess, cautionary tale or at least place that I'd encourage people to do some real learning is if you look back in Jefferson County, when they did vote yes to do this in 2008 and then started the utility in 2013 and now are operating today, in 2008, a lot of the proponents said we would do lots of things locally on the grid. We'd be very innovative. We'd bring energy efficiency. We'd have lower rates. And today, not much of that has really come to pass. At the time, the proponents said it would cost $50 million. It cost more than 100. They said the rates have been lower. They've been about on par. And when it comes to the green side of things, customers there, say, who are solar customers, have actually seen the utility cut the incentive that's paid to customers. And today, our customers enjoy a much broader array of energy efficiency options than customers in Jefferson County do. Because when they looked at what it would take to do that at a small scale, it was prohibitively expensive for the customer and there just wasn't, in some cases, the, the capacity of a very small utility to do some of these things. So I guess I'd say hold our feet to the fire and push us forward. That seems to me to be a, a little simpler and perhaps um, less risky path. Yeah, and I think the important thing when you're going through a, a process like this where you're talking about um, getting signatures and at this point not necessarily getting a vote that says we are going to do this, but to have that community conversation and to have those feasibility studies. But, you know, Jefferson County has been cited as an example um, quite often. And as you said, I mean, they did not end up with lower rates uh, in the beginning. I, I was told recently that that's changing, but I haven't seen any evidence to support that. And then I've also seen Nebraska uh, cited as an example. I mean, it's a 100-year-old public utility, and that's great, um, but the state is still heavily reliant on coal and nuclear sources. So, you know, a good example from the ownership side, but not necessarily the carbon footprint. So, 
Um, you really have to, I would say that as a person that lives here, um, when I'm listening for information, I really want to hear what the real motivations are, and then I want to see the due diligence to support that. But I think that the uh, feeling that I get about Island Power um, is that it's a worthwhile conversation, obviously, but there's a lot of different points um, being made to um, sell to the public that are not necessarily um, borne out by, by the information. And if you look at the Northwest in general, they have about 120 publicly owned utilities, um, Serving about half of the population, and nine out of the ten lowest cost utilities in Oregon are public utilities. So it's not as if a publicly owned utility is a bad thing. Um, it's, it is something that's worth looking at. But as everyone has said, I mean, I, I think one of two things: either come up with the information so that people can make informed decisions, or at least um, move to the next tier, which is exploring with PSE some win-win thoughts or strategies or projects that you can implement, whether it's as an alternative to island power or maybe even in partnership with it, if by some miracle it ends up um, happening. Can you speak to what some of those thoughts or um, projects might be or things that you would like to see from an innovative side with um, with the community, Andy? Sure. You know, one, first off, I think is just to continue to get customers aware of what they could do today for a couple dollars a month to go on a green power. You know, it is it is literally taking yourself and eliminating your carbon footprint on energy with, you know, a phone call or a web sign up. So that's certainly something we continue to want to make people more aware of. Uh, second is really working energy efficiency. There's so much we can do. And, and you know, the, the greenest kilowatt, as they say, is the one you never used in the first place. And our ability to work with homeowners and small businesses where you get sort of the double bottom line of, it's cleaner, and that business is it's helping them economically. And then really working kind of at a deeper level, you know, what can we design, what can we work on together that is more distributed generation, uh, maybe something in the area of a local project around storage or generation. It's great that we had the dedication this spring of the uh, solar array at Waterfront uh, Park to be able to show people, hey, this is what solar can look like and how it can work on Bainbridge. Getting some more of those concrete pieces on the ground, I think that's exciting because it's inspiring to people and it shows them what we can really do in our area uh, right in the places where we live. Hey, Charles, do you have any information? I, I, I always uh, – that stuff that uh, Ted, our friend Ted, was doing out in Arizona where they had those partnerships where they were putting up the solar arrays, do you want to talk about the arrangement that he had? Yeah, so basically it's a zero-cost upfront investment from the homeowner's perspective. Uh, essentially, uh, a company comes in and basically leases the solar array to the homeowner. At the end of the lease period, they own it. Uh, but what they're doing is, is essentially they're installing the array on the, the homeowner's home. Uh, it's producing electricity. They're continuing to pay their power bill. But essentially what that's doing is and that, that electricity is being used and put back into the grid to help offset that purchase. And then basically over time, eventually, I think it's like 20 years out, I mean, they will basically be getting free electricity because it'll be the electricity, it'll be a wash. You know, the the energy that they're generating, the array on his house will uh, more than compensate for the usage in his home. And I think uh, in his case, they have, since he's down in Arizona, I mean, they have air conditioning costs. But I, I think another thing is, too, with, with more efficient lighting and stuff like that, you know, some of these things could easily pencil out up here, I would think. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about things, places like Arizona, even, you know, we just got back from Hawaii not that long ago, and there was so much solar everywhere, but, you know, that's easier sale. So, I mean, it's not like it's uh, in the Northwest. 
But um, it does work so, pretty well here. You know, not the you know, we, we can we can all get jokes from our friends and relatives across the country about how cloudy it is here, <laughs> but you know, we get a lot more sun than people give us credit for. We also have the advantage of very long days from April through October. So, you know, we're not always the sunniest, but we make up a little ground with having long days. So as our customers, and again, about 4,000 who are grid-connected now, including a number on Bainbridge, it does work. Um, the piece that Charles mentioned about the least solar arrays and being able to qualify for the incentives, that's actually something that we've also tried to work on in the legislature in Washington. Uh, today, under Washington law, we don't allow that kind of leasing, but it would be potentially a very good thing if we did. Uh, mm-hmm. And if that comes to pass and we can we can change some of the law and regulation, you know, that's an area where I think we very much would like to serve our customers um, and be able to help provide them some solutions. You know, do they want the traditional service down the wire or do they want service on their own roof? You know, ultimately we know that what customers want is service. And we're as much of a, a service company, you know, as providing the kilowatt per se, so really, if it's coming down a wire or it's on your roof, if the customer's happy, we're happy. There's only one comment you made that I have to take strong exception to. Sure. And that is that there is no sun here. It rains all the time. The weather is horrible. And you should tell everyone you know to not come here. <laughs> Indeed. I retract my statement that it's sunny and nice here. That's right. It's you're, horrible. You're letting out Don't our move secret. Here. <laughs> Don't come here, everyone. No. Don't do it. No, but seriously, okay, so let's talk about Bainbridge Island. We're known for our power outages, and, I mean, if you could see some of these groups that are on Facebook, I mean, it happens. The last couple of times I think it happened right before a Seahawks game, which, oh, my God. But we've had a number of them recently. So why are they, Why is this happening, and what's being done to prevent more of it? A couple of things here this last summer, and, and we are, uh, and for our customers or others who, who are listening to this, uh, we are on Facebook at PSE Talk and Twitter at PSE Talk because we know during an outage that's a way to connect to people and and other times as well. So we do follow that dialogue on social media and participate in it as well. What's been tough about this particular year actually is the drought. The drought has weakened a lot of trees, uh, and we're simply seeing trees that look like fairly healthy trees fall. And, in fact, this last Sunday, right before that Seahawks game, it was about a 60-foot tree on the, the Kitsap Peninsula side of Agate, uh, that fell over from outside of the utility right away and still managed to catch one of the power lines. And unfortunately, it took out the main feed at the time that the alternate feed was being worked on. So we have two paths onto the island. One of them was under maintenance. So we were down to the secondary path and thinking that, okay, the weather's good. That's an okay situation. Boom, on a beautiful sunny day, we lost the backup path as that heat-stressed tree fell over. So that's what's been tough here this summer. In terms of trying to fix things, uh, we did just this last year put up uh, new towers, new connection there at Agate so that we have a brand-new system feeding the island. And then we've worked on improving the tree trimming through Bainbridge as well as working on uh, projects uh, to increase reliability, either new poles and wires or, in some cases, doing some undergrounding as well. And I'll, I'll just put note on the undergrounding Every time the lights go out, everybody wants it undergrounded. The one thing people tend to forget is that underground lines fail, too, uh, sometimes because of heat or flooding. But also, underground lines actually mean taking out a fair number of trees because the tree roots in an underground line are as much of a problem as the tree branches are for an overhead line, which 
sometimes isn't something that we all think of at first blush when we think about going underground to avoid the outages. And, you know, the other thing I heard, and I think, Charles, you're the one that told me this, that there are a certain percentage of your lines that are above ground, but you actually have a certain percentage that are below as well. That's right. It's about half that are below, and that is typically the standard in areas of new construction. Uh, The main reason that lines are above ground is that you do end up minimizing the impact on trees, which, again, seems a little counterintuitive until you start thinking about the tree roots. Uh, lines that are above ground are also easier to find and fix when they're underground and you have a problem that's a longer problem, sort of by definition. And the other, of course, is just the cost. And, and really, it's not so much the cost to us. It ends up being the cost to the customer. And as a really rough rule of thumb, undergrounding is about 10 to 20 times the cost per mile as above ground. And when you're looking at an area the size of Western Washington, that's a big difference for our customers. But that is the standard mm-hmm. now is to go underground in areas of new construction. And most of the island now where this new construction is underground. Any thoughts, Charles? Well, I, I think the other thing is it's, it's more aesthetically pleasing than having this whole rat's maze of wires hanging above. Uh, I think that's another thing that factors, especially in commercial or other areas. Um, but, again, I, I'll go back to, you know, we were talking, you were joking about the um, – you know, the sun doesn't shine sometimes. One of the largest uh, solar countries in the world is Germany, and they have a climate very much like ours. In fact, they're darker than us in a lot of ways, and yet they have a huge solar installed base. So I could see still a lot more of that coming here on island. What I would love to see more of that I haven't necessarily seen yet, although I don't know all the ins and outs, is to see the advanced kind of permitting that they did in Germany to streamline the process. Now, some of that's regulatory, some of that's just getting the paperwork lined up. But to make it as easy as possible so that when somebody says, yes, we do want to do solar or we want to do something along those lines, how do we make it happen? And then what are the other pieces that are going to make it a much more effective process, such as how do we store energy on the grid? Um, Because I know you guys are going to be dealing with this issue as more and more electric vehicles come onto Bainbridge Island. You're, You're just not going to have enough transmission capacity to just bring the power in. So I would love to hear your thoughts about that. Sure, and and I'll I'll kind of start with the last one first. The the good news with the electric vehicle story is that, generally speaking, from our experience so far, people tend to do their heaviest charging overnight. So it's a good example of shifting that power load, that power demand, to a time that may normally not be a high-demand time. So that helps to minimize how much extra capacity you need because of these electric vehicles. Most of them are being charged overnight, so that's good news. The other aspect is the clearly in the future there's going to be a lot of electric cars on the road, but the changeover is fairly slow. Where there do tend to be isolated problems is let's say you live on a cul-de-sac and everybody ran out and got a leaf or a Tesla or whatever. Well, then it can mean that kind of your local neighborhood corner transformer might need to be replaced. So the only issues we've seen so far are of that kind of localized spot problems. It's actually more likely that a homeowner who wants to put in a charger finds out that their own electrical panel in the garage may need to be reworked to to have the capacity. But in general, not a big issue for our system overall. And again, we did actually launch this last year an electric car charger rebate to kind of do as a pilot program to see if we could sort of help this shift along as part of our energy efficiency programs. 
Okay. You know, you you brought up something. Inter- you know, when you were talking about um, the trees that are coming down because of the drought, and that um, made me think about the um, island power um, relying upon hydropower as part of its uh, pitch. And I think one of the questions that I asked when I was uh, speaking with them was, you know, we're we're in a drought, and California has a drought, and you know, there were some stats out there talking about the water supply and what and what we were. Um, going to be facing, and so uh, what, do you, what do you think about um, the implications of that and, and drought uh, conditions on hydroelectric power? Well, it certainly puts strain on that, and I think when we look at our system overall, you know, we're likely not to be building, say, any more coal plants in the Northwest. Well, we're also not going to be putting in much more hydro either. You know, hydro right. certainly has a lot of fish issues and things, so it's complex, plus We've installed a lot of hydro on the rivers in the northwest, and there just may not be that much more capacity. So as a region, as we continue to grow, we're going to have to get a lot smarter about energy efficiency rather than putting in more dams, and we're likely to have more other sources, solar panel on the roof, natural gas-fired plant, wind, what have you. The other thing that I think is is sort of an important point for people to notice, BPA is not 100% hydro. BPA's fuel mix is about typically 80-85% hydro. The rest is uh, nuclear. The rest can include a little bit of coal. The rest can include some natural gas. So they're in about the 80-85% range. So if you want to be 100% carbon-free and 100% hydro, BPA doesn't get you there either. And I think that's an important point that at least in some places I've seen people uh, reference the idea that BPA is a straight line to 100% hydro. And part of the reason they're not is exactly what you're talking about, which is we do have low years, and there's a lot of concern, low hydro years, and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of concern now that we may have kind of back-to-back El Nino years, and that's going to mean that these other energy sources, wind, natural gas, what have you, we're going to be relying on them likely in this coming winter because there is no snowpack now and expectations that it will be a warmer-than-average winter ahead. So what's the best way for um, PSC to engage? Um, and you said you were on uh, Facebook and you had you have your Twitter accounts and so forth. And then, of course, you have your app, which is very helpful for people that are trying to report outages and see what the uh, status of getting us back online. But, you know, a way to answer questions, to continue the conversation with the community, is there – do you guys have sort of a, you know, drop in once a month and then chat with us kind of thing in, in the neighborhood? We certainly try and be out as much as we can in the neighborhood, particularly things like our energy efficiency teams and all of that. Um, I think we do a lot of interactions. You mentioned on the social media platforms, and those are great mm-hmm. because people can kind of get to us anytime. And if you're a customer and you want to learn more about Bainbridge specifically, we do have a pscbainbridge.com that has everything kind of Bainbridge on, on one page, and we have some ability so you can see, you know, what events and things do we have coming up where we're going to be out with the public. I know, uh, in fact, actually we're going to be at the Nakata Pool in a couple of weeks in mid-November when they reopen there. So that PSCBainbridge.com is probably a good place for people to learn about what we're doing on the island. You can send us comments and feedback, and then you can also find the upcoming community events that we'll be involved in there too. So PSEBainbridge.com, there's no hyphen or anything between PSE and Bainbridge, correct? No hyphens, no underscores, no dots. No nothing. PSEBainbridge.com, yeah. 
Okay. And and I wanted to take a moment to actually thank you guys because I saw something out there in the Internet and the webs, as they call it, where someone made a comment about the Nakata pool and said, oh, my God, look at them. They're showing up everywhere now because they're worried about island power. And, you know, we've been here for you know almost 20 years, and PSE has always been involved in the community. They've always supported, you know, some of the things that we are involved with civically, you know, whether it's economic development, whether it's technology, um, whether it's, you know, kids clubs we have seen you guys for many years around here this is nothing new so i just wanted to take a moment to thank you and thank brian and and some other people that we've known over the years that you've always given us information where we've asked for it you know we're certainly not cheerleaders by any stretch of the imagination we are uh, very interested in due diligence and getting the facts and you guys have been very very um, accommodating uh, and straightforward with us and we really appreciate that so i just wanted to go on the record and say that well, I appreciate that, and also really, you know, all the things you're hearing from folks, Island Power folks, whomever, it's great because ultimately we know our success or failure comes from our ability to serve our customers in the way they want to be served. So when we hear from customers who say, we are concerned about carbon, we want to see that come to an end, that's great. Help us get there, or whatever your issue is. You know, it's, we serve everybody Hearing from people, hearing from people who don't like what we're doing as much as people who do is really helpful. You know, we Absolutely. just can't act if we don't know. So the information is helpful, and we want to continue that partnership going forward. Any other thoughts that you or Charles would like to share this afternoon? I, I guess I'll throw in one, which is just, you know, as people are thinking about this, and there are a lot of great public utilities. We, of course, we work with them all the time. We're interconnected as a system. I think it's important for people to maybe think of two things. One, is this really the need in the community that needs $80 million? Are there other places where you might want to put that money, that time? Because it will take away from the ability to do other things. The second would be, what can we do together that would really help some progress on Bainbridge? Any other thoughts from you, Charles? And, and what I would say to that is, definitely the lines of communication in terms of how you can proactively work with you are very important. And I think, you know, if I was was talking to the city council, I know they want to be responsive to their constituents. So when the constituents say, here, here's something we want you guys to consider, you know, here are what we consider to be potential options. I know they're going to want to listen to that at least, at least to give it at least a good fair airing. And yes, um, if there are options they want to look at, let them let them do that. But also look at the other side of the ball. How can you work with the system that, to get the best possible result? I know that there's going to be tremendous changes in the power grid in the next 10 years. And, you know, PSC's attentions aren't just on Bainbridge. They're across their whole system. So I know in a lot of ways when we do make a lot of noise, so to speak, we do get some attention. But also, if you have knowledge, you can work with the system more effectively. So certainly we need to ask lots of questions and investigate and understand a lot more about Bainbridge and, and, and what our options are. And in the, in the process, you know, take advantage of all the resources that are out there, such as the energy efficiency programs that are already there. If we're not doing those already, then we're hurting our case even before we started. So that's what I wanted to say, and uh, I'm looking forward to having the conversation and continuing it. I appreciate that, and yes, I do. I I concur that uh, dialogue is always very important. 
um, to have when you're making important decisions. And uh, whatever, I mean, whether it's island power, whether it's PSC, you know, bring it all to the table and let people make informed decisions, um, ask, uh, ask intelligent questions and get information back and then go from there. I don't think that anyone should feel threatened um, about the um, the possibility of PSC remaining and working with island power or anything like that. So. I am going to go ahead and wrap up, and uh, thank you, um, Andy and Charles, for being on the show this afternoon. Thank you. And uh, and all of you thank for listening you. out there. This live broadcast that you're listening to is going to revert to a podcast. You can listen to it here on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, on your desktop, laptop, smartphone. You can hook it up to your car and drive and listen to it on your tablet. Follow us on Facebook, backslash Straight Talk Radio. That's Sammy Tommy Roger 8, Talk Radio. I'm Donya Keating. I'm signing off here today at about 1.40 p.m. Pacific Time on Thursday, October 1st. We will see you next time. <laughs>